0: Land in here. Acts chapter 11 is where we find ourselves this morning. And uh, As I'm turning there, our life builders is heading back. I appreciate that. And we're already moving. Yeah. We're well instructed this morning. Acts chapter 11. As you want to be in the habit of learning to pray and things for which you can pray, as you come to services here on Sunday morning, realize there's other preaching, teaching being done other than what's in this room. And you can pray along those lines. Acts chapter 11, verse 19. It says, Now they which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenix and Cyprus, and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. And some of them were men of Cyprus and Cyrene, which when they were come to Antioch, spake unto the Grecians, preaching the Lord Jesus. And the hand of the Lord was with them, and a great number of them believed and turned unto the Lord." Then tidings of these things came unto the ears of the church which was in Jerusalem, and they sent forth Barnabas, that he should go as far as Antioch, who, when he came and had seen the grace of God, was glad, and exhorted them all that with purpose of heart they would cleave unto the Lord. For he was a good man, and full of the Holy Ghost, and of faith, and much people was added unto the Lord. May God give us a heart and an appetite for that. Then departed Barnabas to Tarsus for to seek Saul. And when he had found him, he brought him unto Antioch, and it came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. And the disciples were called Christians first in Antioch. I want to take just a few moments this morning and speak to you on this biblical subject of a good name to have. A good name to have. I think from the reading, you probably would figure out what has my attention with that. And it's the last little line that we read there. The disciples were first called Christians. The disciples were called Christians, excuse me, first in Antioch. That's a good name to have. Someone has said, and I don't know who originated it, but it's a good statement, they said, salvation is by grace, Christian is earned. And uh, meaning by that, it, uh, the word Christian is a word that means like Christ. That we, in our lives, show forth the life of Christ. And uh, it's a good name to have. It's a name, it's a good name to be identified with. A little silliness among Christian people sometimes almost wanting to get away from that good biblical term. That's that's a bit of shallow Bible knowledge and a lack of understanding. It's a good, good word. Um, I think a lot of preachers, like myself, have at one time or another, Polly did something we heard. And believe it or not, when you preach and teach a lot, it's and you want to be very thorough in your study and make sure you're biblical, both in your content and your approach of what you do, it's, it is is a lot of work to do it, and it's wonderful work to be involved in, but it's very easy to pick up some things and you go along the way. And I had heard from the time of my early Christianity when I realized I was a sinner and accepted Christ as my Savior when I was 15. That six When I turned 16, 41 years ago this spring, I began to preach the gospel. And I heard in those early days that... Um, Christian was a name that was given by their enemies as a term of derision. One day I went into a study on that and I can find no, no evidence for that. Could be true, but I don't find any evidence for it. And I don't find the word Christian in any any way having any sort of a derogatory content in the Bible. It's a good term. In fact, it seems when you read the context of the chapter here, when you go over to Acts 13 and you deal with this church at Antioch, it seems that they were called Christians. Maybe not so much as a term of derogatory term, saying putting them down, but because people said, hey, they act like that Christ fellow. They showed that by their living that they were Christ-like. I'll give you the evidence for that. Look back in the passage there. Um, if you will, when, when Barnabas came to these people, look in verse 23. It says who when he came and had seen the grace of God, you don't suppose it was a substance floating around in the air that he could perceive with his eyes, do you? How did he see the grace of God? Because he saw changed lives. He saw that uh, these people, there was a belief here that went more than superficial, that wasn't just speaking, but it actually affected their behavior patterns one to to another. Why had Barnabas been called for Because the majority of these people who believed weren't Jews. Up until this time, they were preaching the gospel to the Jews only. It doesn't mean that's the only people. There were no Gentiles that heard the gospel. And we had Cornelius happen before this, if you're familiar with that. But what happens was when they would go into an area, they would preach in the synagogues, they would preach in the Jewish areas. That's where the gospel was gone. But then they get to Antioch. Something amazing happens in Antioch. Look back up at the beginning of what we read there. When they, at the end of verse 19, it says uh, they were preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. These were people who were scattered abroad because Stephen had been killed for his faith. He was a martyr, martyrios, a testimony. He gave his life rather than relinquish what he believed. And Stephen, when that happened, there was a general... Bloodlust and persecution that started in unbelievers and started in all the way around. And people uh, had to leave and flee for their lives. But when they fled for their lives, they didn't just take off and ignore everything that's going on. Everywhere they went, they took the gospel with them. And that was going on, and they kept going, and it names the places they went, Phoenix and Cyprus, and then the last place in verse 19, Antioch. Some of the men that went were of Cyprus, some were of Cyrene, I think that's interesting. It was Simon of Cyrene who carried the cross of Christ when Christ fell under it. I wonder if he took some of that back to his home area. There were some people from Cyrene and that in Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Ghost came to indwell believers and you had that great day on Pentecost when 3,000 were saved and baptized, that's a lot of baptizing in one day. I don't believe for a moment that Peter was the only one baptizing. I mean, he seemed to be a pretty stout fellow, but your arm would fall off. Plus, how would you have time to do that? And, uh, and so these people, they, they were there. But look at verse 20. They spake to the Grecians. Why are the Grecians? Those are the people. These are Greeks. By and large, they uh, were polytheists, believed in many gods. I got an old book in, in the 18, written in the 1800s, and I, I don't know why, I just wanted to look at it again. I had studied into Greek mythology and stuff like that when I was a young fellow, before I, uh, before I heard the gospel, before I was around the Bible at all, because coming up in a, a non-church going home, I wasn't exposed to the Bible, other than the fact it was part of our society a lot more back then. And uh, our public school, they would open in prayer and such up until my sixth grade uh, year. And uh, read the Bible. But I didn't know the Bible. And uh, so I, I knew about, you know, I knew about Zeus and I knew about Mercury and I knew about all this other nonsense. I knew about the River Styx and I knew about, you know, all this other stuff. And, uh, but thank God the Gospel came. I found out who the true and living God is. Believed on Him. And I really thought about it other than just the fact that was part of my knowledge base. So I got this old book and it was on uh, it was on the Greek mythology. <clears throat> I started reading it. Let me tell you something about them Greek gods. They're a bunch of perverts. Literally. It was the filthiest, most debauched bunch of nonsense. I didn't even read it. I said, I didn't need that junk in my mind. I'm glad I don't serve a god who's trying to have another god kill him and you know. I wouldn't even go It's just garbage. And I'm like, good night. Well, they were a learned people. That has never made you spiritual. And they were a spiritual people. But that's never made you godly. It's according to what spirit it is. And these were people who came from... They had forms of worship among the great people that involved immorality within the worship actions. Vulgar stuff. But they hear the gospel. And these people who are scattered abroad start preaching, and all of a sudden, the people who are listening most are these people, these Greeks. They're like, really? Man, that's amazing. You you mean God's the creator? You mean there's one God? You mean God the creator actually cared about his creation enough to come to this earth for him? They're amazed. They hear about the resurrection. They hear about the death. They hear about the sinless life of Christ. And what happens, according to the passage we just read, it says that many of them, look in verse 21, the hand of the Lord was with them and a great number believed and turned unto the Lord. I like that very much. True belief is marked by true turning. It's it's evidenced by it. The turning doesn't make you believe, but true belief carries it. And all these people are hearing this. And I mean, Cornelius's house where he just had his household and friends had received the Lord, that made a big stir back in Jerusalem. You know, because Peter went in to talk to these, these Gentiles and they're trying to figure all this out and what's God doing and there were some evidences giving that let them know this is exactly the same thing that happened to you Jews, and it was set up that way by the Lord. And they, all this was going on, and now they get news back from Antioch, and they say, "You wouldn't believe we've got scores, hundreds, maybe even thousands of people getting saved. We have people coming to the Lord, wanting to serve the Lord." Man, that's fantastic! What synagogue are they all from? They're not from the synagogue. They're from everywhere from agnostic to the Temple of Aphrodite. These are Greeks. What? I've always said, and I really think it's funny, can you imagine when these Greeks got saved and these Gentiles, and it was mainly a Jewish church, can you imagine the first church dinner when one of the Gentiles brought in pork chops as one of the covered dishes? (laughs) I mean, honestly, we, we tend not to think of what kind of collisions happened back then. Talk about wild background differences, but a common savior and a common Lord. And so, what happened? They come along and and they send word back and they say, These are Greeks. Well, thank God that that situation there with Cornelius and such had paved the way. To the church at Jerusalem, the apostles that were there said, wait a minute, this is God's hand, He's doing something here. That's what the Bible just said there. The hand of the Lord was there, that's how it happened. So what did they do? They didn't scoff at it, they sent a man named Barnabas. A good number of you know what that name means. The Bible tells us it, doesn't it? He's called the Son of Consolation. Barnabas is a great gift, and what God gave him to do was he would bring different groups together, different people together. He was the man responsible when Saul that we read about here, that his name will be changed to Paul later. That's Apostle Paul. His name originally was Saul. God changed his name to Paul, which means little. Paul had a lot to brag about because of his background, his education, his religious training. And if he was going to be used as Lord, he had to become little. That's a lesson for all of us. And so Barnabas had been the one. Here, Saul of Tarsus, who we know as the Apostle Paul had persecuted the church, dragging people off to prison where some of them were even executed. Then he gets saved and wants to come into fellowship with these churches. Do we really think about what that would have been like? It's easy to chide these early Christians and say, well, why didn't they just accept him? Because last time he showed up at church service, he was taking people away in the paddy wagon. uh, There was a reason for this. And it was Barnabas that spoke up for him. And Barnabas did this. See, this was Barnabas' strength and and his spiritual gift they did. And so they sent Barnabas and Barnabas gets to Antioch. I want you to see what he does. He comes there and he sees the grace of God in verse 23. And he's glad. He's so excited. He's like, this is real. This is real. And then he exhorts them. He says, with purpose cleave unto the Lord. Let me say to you this morning, May I echo his words to you this morning. If you're going to walk with God, you're going to have to do it on purpose. That's been true in every generation. But I'm going to promise you, if you're going to serve God, you're going to have to do it on purpose. The society is no longer buttressing and strengthening up the Christian life. Our society is thoroughly heathen. I'm not talking about just fleshly indulgences that have been there. It is into spiritual heathenism and darkness. Pseudo-Christianity, a weird mixture of New Age philosophy and indoctrination being uh, brought in and trying to be uh, synthesized with sound Bible doctrine. And a lot of it in the name of church growth. It's a shame. And it's very dangerous what's going on. Not the Bible is the standard, but experience is the standard not the written Word of God as the final authority, but subjective interpretation of events as, as a... my goodness, if we ever had a generation, I'm talking all ages now, not a particular age group, those of us living now. If we ever had a generation that's very, very susceptible for false prophets and false leaders, we have it now. Let's stay true to the Bible. And so what happened with him, he said this is real and he said with purpose you're gonna to have to plead to the Lord. Why? Because here's the thing with it, Nate, they're gonna go back and, and they're gonna be around people who think it's okay to live wickedly. It's just normally what they do. It's vulgarity is how they talk fornication is what they do, drunkenness is what they do, They're, they thinking strange if somebody doesn't do it. And he says, now you know Christ and you're supposed to be different and you're going to have to live for Christ on purpose. May God give His people a backbone and a conviction of the Bible to stand and live for Christ and to love Him above everything else like the lady so well sang just a moment ago, to love Him so much that we want to live in His way. And so they did this and... All this is going on. It's an incredible backdrop with this. <laughs> they, um, they come down and, and Barnabas leaves quickly and goes and gets Saul. He goes to Tarsus, which was Saul's home area, and gets him. And this is amazing what God's doing here. Saul, or the apostle Paul, becomes the apostle to the Gentiles. He was thoroughly Jewish on both sides of his family, trained under one of the greatest Jewish teachers of his day, He was absolutely at the center of Jewish society and God makes him the apostle for the Gentiles. (laughs) That's interesting, yeah? But there was a whole year he spent with this church at Antioch learning to love those Gentile people, those Greeks. There was a whole year that Paul spent learning how to deal with people who were coming from so far out there they didn't even know what truth was. See, he'd grown up around people who had copies of the Scripture, who took it for granted you believe the Bible. And what he was learning, Brother Keith, was how to deal with people who didn't come from that. And God was working on him as he was working on what he was going to use him for. <laughs> the, uh, it's pretty interesting. But God's hand, you can see in all of it, even the scattering. Look up in verse 19. They which were scattered abroad upon the persecution that arose about Stephen. I've told you about that. I love the statement. Matthew Henry made the statement about that. He said, The events designed to scatter and lose them, Christ designed to scatter and use them. They were trying to scatter the Jewish people and lose them by by, watering them down and making them disappear. But what happened when they went to scatter... I said the Jewish people, the Christian people. Sorry about that. Historical jump in the brain there. Um, when he, he scattered the Christian people, they were hoping just to disperse them so they would lose their effectiveness. But what happened was they went out and they took the Lord wherever they went and they were useful because of that. And uh, they fled from the persecution, but they didn't flee from the work. Um, I'm afraid sometimes that we, including this preacher, are uh, too attached to structures and geographical location. Uh, My hands, like many of yours, have helped build all these buildings. And uh, I've given towards all of it and physically helped with all of it. Although I do require instruction and oversight because I'm not a construction guy. But... I wouldn't want to see these buildings which we try to keep attractive and honoring to the Lord. I wouldn't want to see them damaged or gone. And I would understand the language if something happened and our building, fire, tornado, something like that happened. And, uh, and we would say, man, we lost our church. We might say that, right? Because we we're talking about the building. And it's a little inconvenient in how to try to meet outside. <laughs> about 98% of the year that doesn't work real well. Take it from a fellow who helped in the founding of a church when we met out in a tent while we built our buildings. Um, That doesn't work so well. It's either too hot or too cold or too windy or too wet or too something. And then about two Sundays a year when it's not two, amen, to do something. So we wouldn't like that. But here's the thing about it. If that were to happen, we would not have lost our church. I wouldn't be happy about it. You wouldn't be happy about it. Uh, We wouldn't be excited. That would be inconvenient. (laughs) But these are tools that house what God's bought with His blood. We always have to keep that in mind. Why? Because this thing of Christians is an important thing. This thing of Christian has to do with who we are individually before the Lord and what we do. And so they, they came, and I want you to see something with this. Look on down with that in verse 26. He found Saul, at the beginning of verse 26, and brought him again to Antioch. It came to pass that a whole year they assembled themselves with the church and taught much people. A lot of people, they're teaching, 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 teaching with that. And the disciples were called Christians. They didn't get bumped by little, little stickers made that said, I'm a Christian. They didn't call themselves Christians. They were identified by those with whom they interacted as Christians. I wonder, and I understand you all come from like five different counties and and many of you travel a long way to come to church here, but I wonder in the places where we conduct our business through the week, I wonder if people would say those people from Lighthouse Baptists are Christian people. You know, it's interesting to me. Of course, I know a lot of servers in town, a Baptist preacher and all, and I I eat out far more than I want to, but I, I do. It's, of course, the nature of things, it seems like. But the servers, it's interesting. When you get talking to people who serve tables, they will tell you after, and some of them i have had long, long-term long relationships. They're almost like family to us. We've known them a long time. They will say, you know, it's kind of funny. They said each church has its own personalities And they talk about, we like seeing these come in. These ones here when they come in. They won't control their kids with beans. They're up there tearing up the salad bar, running around all over the restaurant, disturbing other people. They leave a mess, and then ten people sit at the table, and they leave us two dollars in the gospel tract as dead. That's, you say, well, you know, that's how they make their living. <clears throat> well, I want them to know the Lord and act like the Lord's people. Be respectful of those who take care of you. Conduct yourself in a way that's proper. Look, just laughing together with our personalities, we can about run the place out because we get noisy. But let's not make let's not have it look like Hurricane Katrina went through when we go. All right, Amen. Go through. And by the way, it's a good thing to teach. Hey, let's pick up. Let's clean up. Let's do. And so, what is this? They they were called Christians. Why do you think they were called Christians? They were called Christians because of their interaction with other people. Oh, somebody came to their services and saw how well they sang. I don't think so. Oh, somebody came to their services were impressed with how the speakers could speak. I don't think so. I'll tell you why they were called Christians. It's because they acted like Christians out in the world where they were living. They didn't treat people like The population of their town owed them coming to their church and owed them to come to the gospel, but they looked for opportunities to serve so that they would show forth the spirit of their Savior in their actions towards other people. May God help us to be a witness for Him both in our actions and in our words. I believe He could use you that way. I believe He could use each of you that way. Some of you come from some rough backgrounds and... So far out there, you feel like you'll never get the mud raked off of you. But I'm going to tell you something. If you're saved by the blood of Christ, you're already clean. And you're already His. And all that stuff that your memory won't let you forget sometimes is somewhere called the past and is forgotten and put aside by God. And He can use you. He can use you to serve Him. Oh, what opportunities we have in the Lord. But it's a good name. Let me just show you two other things. and then we'll go. I know we were lengthy in the first part of the service. And uh, so I don't want to hold you too long. Acts chapter 26. It's a name worth having. It is a name worth having, Christian. Acts 26 is pretty interesting here. The Apostle Paul's. Speaking to King Agrippa. And he's witnessing to him while he's talking to him. He said, This uh, Paul had been captured, the Jews were going to kill him. He got delivered into the hands of the, of the uh, rulers and such. And then he begins to speak to this King Agrippa. Verse 27, it's a very interesting read. You might want to mark it later and check it out. Paul goes from giving a defense for himself, which he was allowed to do, over charges being brought to him, to witnessing directly to the king. And it's interesting. He puts him on the spot there, verse 27. He says, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? I know that thou believest. In other words, he said, King Agrippa, you believe that Old Testament. And he had been telling him his testimony about how Christ had saved him and what Christ had done. And he said, King Agrippa, believest thou the prophets? Look what King Agrippa said. By the way, it's the only place this word's used in, in this chapter. Paul didn't use the word. Agrippa does. Then Agrippa said unto Paul, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. He said, "Almost." That's a uh, that's a sad statement, isn't it? It's very similar to what a ruler before Agrippa had said. A fellow named Felix, who had actually recommended Paul to go before before uh, Agrippa, look back in chapter twenty four of Acts. Acts twenty four, and verse twenty four. And after certain days when Felix, that's a ruler, came with his wife Drusilla, which was a Jewess. She was a Jewish ethnicity. He sent for Paul and heard him concerning the faith in Christ. And as he reasoned of righteousness, here's here's elements of good preaching. Righteousness, temperance, and judgment to come. Look at what the effect it had. Felix trembled and answered, Go thy way for this time. Oh, that's sad. When I have a what type of season? Convenient, convenient season, I will call for thee. Felix said, It's not convenient right now to accept Christ. Agrippa said, Almost. Those are sad conditions. Sad, sad conditions to be in. And so Agrippa said, almost thou persuadest me to be a Christian. Let me show you one other passage and I'll turn back here. It's the reference on it. Make sure I take you to the right spot. 1 Peter 4. My guests are over here. That's not a bear behind you that you just heard. Joe is profoundly deaf. My chance of waking him up is just almost zero, and I think he makes everybody else jealous when he snores. But Joe was here when I came 29 years ago. I tell people the key to longevity under my preaching is not be able to hear me. <laughs> First Peter chapter four, perhaps a kernel of truth in that. First Peter chapter four. Uh, but I love that man. I'm glad he's here. First Peter chapter 4 and look in verse 14. If you be reproached for the name of Christ, happy are you. For the spirit of glory and of God resteth upon you. On their part, he's evil spoken of. But on your part, he's glorified. But let none of you suffer as a murderer. Or as a thief, or as an evildoer, or as a busybody in other men's matters. Wonder if that applies to social media as well, or maybe that verse just quit counting in our generation. Just a thought. Yet, talking about a good name to have, if any man suffer as a what Christian. Let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God on this behalf. Suffering as a Christian not only indicates that perhaps the, the trouble came your way because of your beliefs, but I believe it also goes over into understanding that we would suffer as a Christian. I remember my mom's prayers towards the end of her life. mom was sick a long time, five, five years severely, Twice, the fistula that went from her aorta to her esophage which is just a very strange phenomenon. It twice ruptured to such an extent that she was laying on her back and blood shot out of her mouth and hit the ceiling. That sort of an aortic rupture was at home. You should never you should not be able to survive that. She did twice. Many other things that we could go on and you all were very gracious with me. I tried not to be lax in anything with the church, but there was a period of time that involved a lot of traveling across this state. And I appreciated your kindnesses, many kindnesses, not even, not only not a complaint about the time it took up, but many of you were helpful to us in so many ways. And I appreciate that, still do. But I remember hearing Mom pray. She had been in pain so long. Her body was so hurting. And I remember hearing her pray, when she didn't know I was listening to her pray. She was praying, and here's what she said. And my sister reported hearing her say the same thing. Lord, don't let me get mean. Lord, don't let me get mean. Lord, don't let me get mean. And I think, in fact, I can barely go an hour past lunch without getting a contrary. <laughs> Honestly, I look at some things like that that people have been through, and I think, my goodness, I've got so much to learn about the Lord. You know you don't know. You boys saw it. You know how my mom was. There were days when she got contrary. My sister, bless her heart, was the main caregiver. Anybody know what that means? That means when I drove over from two hours away my sister says, little brother, you never get the contrary side of mom. Said because 'cause I'm sharpy. She punched me. But my goodness, to suffer as a Christian, not to retaliate, prove our point. Y'all don't treat me that way. I won't kill you. I'm gonna make my point. You know, there's a big difference between standing up and making a point that needs to be made, and standing firm and being harsh and unreasonable un- and all that. I don't believe that we need to yield ground that is right. But I believe that we must stand in the same way that Christ will. And I also know that it takes God's grace to know that and how to do that. And God will help you when you need to. We don't know what suffering. Suffering of loss, suffering of pain, suffering of, of, of the anxiety of not knowing what's going on, suffering of outright persecution. You and I don't know what suffering we will have in this course of our lives. But may God help us to suffer as Christians. To not do despite to the name of our Savior at the time of extremity in our life. You see, I am biblically convinced that the name Christian is worth having. And I think I'm like most of you in this room. I would like to wear it not as a badge of identification, but as an essence of my living. So that Christ can be shown. I am so glad, and I've taken time in the last couple of days to stop and think about certain things. Send a text to my preacher that under whose preaching I was saved, baptized, called to preach. I've taken time in the last couple of days to stop and think, Brother Chris. About some of the dear saints of God, some of which had no leadership position, they weren't teachers and preachers, but they were people of God who, when I was a young, fuzzy-headed teenage kid, just got saved and baptized, just got into church. I watched them, and you know what they did? They lived it. And I could give out names; they wouldn't mean anything to all. But in this little farming community around Camden, Ohio, you know what they did? They had a reputation. One of my dear friends is now in heaven. Kenny Moreland, he was like that. You mentioned Kenny Moreland, he ended up becoming the comptroller for the county, but you mentioned Kenny Moreland baby by the county. They said, yeah, we know Kenny. Well, they knew him when he was a teenager too. Woohoo! That was a different kid. And they knew something had happened and changed him. Right up to the day of his very unexpected death in his 50s. You know what he did? He had that, he had he 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 didn't wear the name as a label. He carried Christ's name as a reality in his life. May God help us to do that. That's what the Lord gave me for you this morning. Let's pray. All right. Father, thank you for your words. Thank you for this name worth having. He's worked the eternal work in people's lives that you're wanting to do. Help them at this point, this invitation, to be decisive towards you. May they literally be open to what you want to do in their lives. May they care enough about you and about themselves to stop and reflect for a moment and and ask what you want them to do. What's your meaning for them this morning? Bless this invitation for your own purposes and may you be honored in it, please. Amen. Let's stand together. Something you want to bring before the Lord? Our invitation's open. It's not a tack on here. It's an opportunity for you to respond Dear Lord, from the preaching that's gone on, would you come this morning? Perhaps, if you don't know Christ, we would love to take a Bible and show you how you can leave this property today knowing that Christ is your Savior and that your faith is in Him. Would you come this morning? Is Christian a title or is it living? May God help us to live it.